The rich and powerful want us to think the economy is a line on a stock market ticker. That's wrong. The economy is powered by us. It's what we create, what we buy, what we need. President Biden has proposed bold public investments in jobs and families, but more is needed. We need housing, health care, caregiving, action on the climate crisis, and millions of good-paying jobs. This is our moment to finally unlock prosperity for all of us. For more information, go to prosperus.org. That's prosperus.org. The rich and powerful want us to think the economy is a line on a stock market ticker. That's wrong. The economy is powered by us. It's what we create, what we buy, what we need. President Biden has proposed bold public investments in jobs and families, but more is needed. We need housing, health care, caregiving, action on the climate crisis, and millions of good-paying jobs. This is our moment to finally unlock prosperity for all of us. For more information, go to prosperus.org. That's prosperus.org. Welcome to the Fantasy Golf Degenerates Podcast. What is going on, DGen Nation? Kenny Kim, your favorite Korean here, bringing you another Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast this week for the AT&T Pro-Am from Pebble Beach. Uh, as usual, I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Tambellini. Tyler, how was Phoenix? How did it go last week? Oh, it went extremely well, Kenny. I'm still here, uh, taking off early in the morning, so haven't been able to lock down all of my entries yet on DraftKings and put in any bets yet because of that. But I can assure you, uh, even with my voice slightly gone, I'm still excited about this week uh, upcoming, and I got all my research in, so that I did have time to do that. It's been a little bit of a lazy day the last couple of days since the Saturday outing again, uh, but it was one hell of a time, and there'll be some good stories as we go along, I'm sure, when we recap the tournament here. Yeah, how how was the tournament? I mean, like, how was how was the 16th? How was the stadium? Uh, I mean, was it everything that you thought? You went last yeah, year, Yeah, I went too, last right? year, so it was... Was it everything that you... Yeah. It was definitely uh, eye-opening, I guess I would say, for um, the run. I, I got to get uh, back in the gym heavy uh, because, man, <laughs> the run is intense. Uh, I forgot about that part, kind of. One guy in the lineup said it best. I think he said, you know, if you've been here before, he's like, you run like hell. You get there. You realize you're out of shape. You say you're going to train for next year. You don't. And then you come back next year and do it all over again. So uh, certainly not uh, – going beyond the sort of the bucket list thing. You know, I really didn't need to do this again, I don't think. Uh, it was definitely well worth it, and it's an epic experience. Anyone who was there for the first time will tell you. Uh, I'm not going to take away from it. It was an incredible experience again, like I said. But um, the run is insane, and this year I was – Explain the run. I, I know 
I know a lot of people know what you're talking about, but explain the run and what you have to do yeah, so you, to get to that. To, to, you got to get there super early. Like this ahead. year, went even earlier, went at four o'clock in the morning. Um, basically, you just stand outside, you get through security pretty quick, and then everyone starts lining up the main gates. And from there, once they open the gates, it's go time. Now, this year was a little bit different because last year, I'd say we were probably, my buddy and I were in like the t- in the first three, four hundred people in the lineup. So like we were going to get a seat. We knew it, but we sort of got the easier in. And then you still got to run across. You basically run through the carnival tent of all the vendors. You run down a, you know, a cart path up and over. Then you basically run three holes, complete, you know, 500 yard holes to get to the certain entrances on the 16th, depending on where you want to sit. We want to sit greenside. But this year we were in, you know, my buddy and I were in the first, I'd say hundred people. And it was intense, man. Like this shit was dangerous. Um, you know, we got – everyone starts pushing. So as it gets closer to the time, everyone starts jamming. You're just like at a concert when you're in the front row and you're getting jammed against the gate. And I'm like trying to be kosher. I'm expecting still to get my ticket scanned. Like why wouldn't they? They did last year. I swear to God, I was getting pushed so hard. The gate got tipped upside down along the left side. The dude that was trying to scan tickets got bowled over, like just tossed to the side with his ticket scanner right to the <laughs> ground. So he was done and out. Nobody got their ticket scanned. Everyone was shoving, almost busted my ankle. My buddy saw it and pushed me through. And the guy behind me's ankle got stuck like between the gate thing. And I just you just gotta basically stomp and run. Like there's no chance. I'm not stopping to help anybody. This lady that's yeah, like yeah. 55 years old just goes flying into the side of a, a little cart thingy. And I was like, holy shit, this is insane this year. And I, I just kept bolting it. And man, it was a it was a tough run, but I, I couldn't believe the mayhem going in there this year. And like I said, uh, next year, I'm looking forward to trying to get this skybox thing rolling, get everybody down that we can, have a great time together, because it's definitely the place to be. It's just, do you need to be sitting on the green side in row three, or could you be sitting on the opposite side in a skybox with free drinks and food? Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. It's something that definitely uh, we should talk about as we get closer to the next year's waste management. Definitely. But let's talk about the golf and, and the wild week that we had this week. I mean, first off, you know, on the Euro Tour, they're playing in Saudi Arabia. I know a lot of people have differences of, of opinions on that, uh, if they should play there or not. Uh, then we have Bryson, you know, doing his little, I don't know, I guess it, it could have been part of his – uh, appearance fee that he had to say some good stuff about about yeah. um, about the country and everything like that and then we get to the tournament and and then we see um you know the week before how tong lee has that that penalty we see that penalty of when the caddy stands behind the golfer that happened about two or three times this week uh it happened to danny mccarthy he actually took the point away uh, they actually gave him a penalty and rescinded it and gave him the strokes back the next day uh which is i've never seen that before um that was pretty, you know, pretty crazy stuff. I've seen people get penalized later on. I've never seen people who got penalized get the penalty back. The power uh, of Justin so Thomas, was, man. The power of Twitter. I, know. I mean, Justin Thomas was also – had a, 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 a Ricky Fowler had the same thing happen to him uh, later in that same day where the, his caddy realized he was behind him and he, like, ran away quickly. No penalty. Uh, and no penalty for that one. And then, you know, we see the tournament itself – oh, and Sergio. <laughs> oh my god Sergio going crazy so I heard from Twitter I don't know how reliable this source was I forget who tweeted it uh it's on my Twitter feed I retweeted it but he said that he heard information that what 
got him disqualified after uh, one of the things he said was like the greens were so shitty that uh, a suicide bomber should blow him up. Oh <laughs> I, yeah. Did you hear that? I mean, I that's, guess I saw you retweet that. I'm not, I can't remember who it was either, but I mean, he, something is going on with Sergio well beyond golf because if you saw the original, the only real video that's out there of anything crazy going down was him in the bunker on Saturday. And like the shot was 10 feet from the pin from what I saw. Like it wasn't even well, like it a was sh- a second shot. It was a second shot out of the bunker. If I'm not mistaken, I uh, think I'm not right. But, but I mean, uh, yeah, and that's going to piss you off. But I'm saying at the end of the day, he just blew those bunkers up. And then for him to skate the greens with the spikes and stomp them down and put his you know club into them and all the stuff that he said that that was brought up now that uh, I don't know, like to me that uh, that's beyond golf. If you ask me. Yeah, yeah, something's going on. That, that was some wild stuff. But the thing is, like, Sergio's always been a hothead. Uh, Definitely. This is, not like, this is not like new shit. Maybe as aggressive as he was, might have been a little bit overboard. But, uh, I mean, this is not new shit for Sergio. I mean, he's been doing this stuff like here. And there could be ramifications. I mean, uh, they're definitely talking about uh, what should happen to him. Uh, it, because, I mean, not often do a player gets DQ'd for that reason. I, I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah, the main Euro Tour guy came out and said that it's not going to be what everyone's expect. Like everyone was talking, like he's going to be DQ'd, kick, you know, the joke, kick him off the tour, Doug. Yeah, well, not gonna do but that. It, it's like he's – that's yeah. not going to happen. I think they said that, you know, he said it's all he, – he apologized. He apologized to the golfers. Guys that were with him said that, you know, he mentioned his frustrations to them and they said it can happen to anybody. You know, it, it happens. It's a mistake. Like you said, though, it's not really – um, uncommon to see Sergio do these things, but I would say for the last few years, it hasn't been anywhere near like that. This was like when he was first on the first few years on tour and whatnot. I mean, he was obviously a, a psycho, but he's been a lot better lately. Thinking things like the marriage, winning the Masters, all those good things that happened to him, I thought he was a lot better. This seemed to come out of nowhere, and that's what surprised me. All right, and so let's talk about Ricky. Uh, you, you know, your boy, yeah. you were there. I mean, he, fi- he finally yeah. gets that W, uh, even though it was the first time anyone's shot three over par in the final round of the win in the last five years. Uh, that doesn't it's happen insane. that often. I mean, the thing is, the golf gods seemed like they were favoring him. Because, I mean, first off, he was, what, four or five strokes up going into the last day. And then you get, like, crazy weather that you see in Phoenix, like, twice a year on Sunday. So nobody could make a move. No one was going to shoot 61 and catch him, you know, like what Xander did right. at the Tournament of Champions, you know, against Gary Woodland. Um, so, I mean, that eliminated a whole bunch of people. The only way he was going to lose is if he fell back. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, typical Ricky stuff. I mean, that chip on 11, I, I don't know, like, what the fuck he was thinking. I mean, that was something that, like, not even, like, like an amateur like me on the weekends don't even do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, an, uh, yeah. you get the whole green in front of you. You're chipping up with water behind the pin, pin five feet from the back of the green. And, and, you know, leave it short, bro. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, leave it short. He hits it into the water, and then he has that bad break with the drop. I mean, I know people bitch about that rule, but that's a rule. You know, that once that, once sure. that ball is, is in play, it's in play. You know, that's been a rule forever. And so, I mean, what he should have done probably was look at where he wanted to go first because it was raining, it was windy. That ball was on a severe slope. That was just sort of a, a, a brain fart. In my opinion, I mean, you're you're risking so much by doing that. That ball could easily move, and you know when you place it, like he did, because the ball dropped down into the water twice. So he was able to place the ball. You're not placing the ball deep into the grass. You know, you're not giving yourself a shitty lie. 
you're 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 right. placing that ball right on top of the grass, so you can have a nice easy chip, you know. And but the thing is, since that ball is on the top of the grass, any little bit of rain, any little bit of wind, that ball is going to move back into the, into the water. I mean, that was that was a brain fart in my opinion, and I thought he was done after that. Uh, but you know, he came back, had a couple of birdies to close it. It's not like he played well, like great. The only really excellent shot that he had. Uh, in the last five holes when he made that, you know, comeback to beat Grace was his drive on 17, which is beautiful. I mean, he drove it onto the green with the water on the left, uh, you know, gave himself a look for eagle. And that's basically what won it because Grace, you know, another guy who hits a driver late in a tournament in contention like he did at the U.S. Open a few years ago, and he blows it into the water. The one place you could not put it was in the water. There's literally like a football field to the right of that green. You know what I'm saying? And he and he hits it, and, and yeah. it cost him. And so Ricky was able to get the win. So good for him. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, the win eases some of those demons. But the way he played, I don't know. You know what's going to happen the next time? Because I think he, I read some stat. He was zero for eight in fifty-four hole leads. Never shot under par in any one of those eight uh, final rounds. And he didn't shoot under par again yesterday. So nine times he's had the lead going into the final round of a tournament, and he still hasn't sh- broken par. Um, that's that's not yeah. The the one thing was it was it was zero for eight after thirty six, oh, okay. and and the Sunday. The only reason I'm bringing it up not to to kill your vibe, but on, on the the one you're talking about the fifty four hole because because this is interesting. He was one for six, and the one time was at the Honda in two thousand ten where he also shot like a seventy two. And still came through and got lucky and won. So he he's never really been a closer, as we know, and as I have to suffer with as a fan. And on top of that, it, it seems that the only time he gets these Ws is when everyone else plays like shit, and he still gets away with it. Um, the one thing I would say is that you know I saw I retweeted earlier. I saw Jack Nicklaus sent it out. I know JT made a comment the same. The one thing that would be is if and and a lot of guys if this happened to them, they wouldn't have came back from that. Yeah. The fact that he did that, the ups and downs, and like, and not just the what the penalty thing, but earlier when he had that, you know, the shot out of bounds or whatever, and then he, he on the cart path and he played it from the cart path, chipped it up, made the big par bomb. That was something. Bounce, you know, got out of that situation, made the double, bounced back, got back up to a five shot lead on eleven. The the issue was a couple things. One, I don't know why he didn't take the ball back to the spot. It was kind of unlucky that it went in the water in the first place because. It just kept rolling off the green, and then it missed the bunker somehow. Yeah, I don't know how it missed. I don't know how it missed that bunker. Like that just is what it is now. But the thing was, they should have went back to the spot because what are the chances that was going to happen again? Especially when you just saw how it happened, yeah. so it wasn't going to happen. The second part was between him and his caddy Joey Scover, and they, those guys have a great relationship, been together forever. That it looked a little chippy for a minute after that, though, because it looked like Ricky was almost pissed that he didn't know the rule. Because why didn't they just take it back? If that was you now, it's on both of them. He still has the the final say. But he looked at him like, "What just happened? Like, what do you mean?" And then he had to talk about to, to Slugger about the rules. Gave him a little earful, and and the boys were there. Like Justin Thomas was shaking his head. Like I never even seen that. Was basically what he was saying. But a bunch of mental errors. And then the other thing for me was he almost played opposite strategy. Like you said, he couldn't have got better conditions. He he had his boy JT with him, so his comfortability. He had a four-stroke lead. He got the weather that plays into his favor. Everything was the way. He could be He could be pretty conservative. Normally when you're up four strokes and you play conservative on the final day, somebody pulls a Xander at TOC 
and, and you know Woodland shoots five under and still loses. That's unfortunate. That really couldn't happen here yesterday. And for for him to go out and sort of play opposite, like even driver on seventeen to me was crazy. I get it, but I'm saying you saw the board like it it's, it wasn't necessary. You could have went with anything else and just got yourself up there, got up and down, and still made birdie. No problem. He risked it again, and that's fine. And then, well, that won in the tournament, you know, though. You got to give him that. It, it, that that drive it did, won, but him, he won, by, won in the tournament because I mean, he won, you know, it was it was. I think it already tied going in to that when he was going in, or was he? Was, it's results. It's results oriented because I'm saying if he gets a birdie there, he still wins. Yeah. Now he at the time it is what it is. I just I just don't think like I said when he had when he was up and could have played conservative. He was playing wild when he was in a chance to hold it out. He ends up going back to conservative. Like it just didn't make any sense the strategy. But in the end, what I was trying to say, I guess, is that you know Justin Thomas, Jack Nicholas said it. The resiliency factor, the way he did it and got there and, and came back, it actually is probably going to do more for him than just winning the tournament by seven strokes that he feels that he should have won two times already. This is showing him that he can get into the hunt, go out of it, and come back in and win it. And at the end of the day, you got to see what he does, right? He is 30. He is married or engaged now. He's got a big year ahead of him. Uh, I'm excited with what the result was, and I'm excited for the majors to to come now. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I don't know how much this is actually going to help him. But, you know, a win is a win, so it could build confidence. Now, DFS-wise last week, my idiot ass, three hours before lock, switched all 30% of my Ricky shares to Finau and Phil. So that's how my week went. Uh, the funny thing is <laughs> – the funny thing is, I lost in cash for the first time. Uh, I got three or four through in my cash game cornerstones. Domin was, I guess, a trap. Uh, it didn't work out for him. Uh, but the other three guys made the cut. Billy Horse was sort of underperformed, though he did salvage everything with a nice uh, 67, one of the better rounds of the day on Sunday. Um, and the thing is, I, I only had four or six through because uh, who else? I, I forget who else I had, but I only had four or six through, and uh, I was like four points out of the double up. So, I mean, it was close. It was nail biting at the end, but I lost in cash. Uh, did, I actually did okay in GBP. I didn't, I didn't win, but I only lost a little. And that's after changing out Ricky, you know? And so and one thing that did help was one of my best lineups was in I, the single entry uh, was in uh, the $33. And I only used one entry for that. And so, uh, you know, that sort of buoyed my winnings because I did pretty well on that one. Uh, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean, tinkering, it really screwed me uh, this past <laughs> week. I really, really did. I would have lost cash anyways, uh, but I feel like it could have been a big week if I kept Ricky because, you know, Finau and Phil both missed the cut. How'd you do? I'm going to save this time of the pod to just tell another story from the Phoenix Open because I did shitty. Okay. I, I don't play Fowler uh, really ever, maybe in majors on DFS, but, you know, I, I like the emotional hedge of him getting the W and – for me, I obviously love money a lot more, but uh, yeah, the, this is a great story. So you just mentioned Billy Horschel. I don't know if you saw it on Saturday, um, but I, I posted about it. It was hilarious. I'm so pissed. I was recording like the shots, so in case there was a hole-in-one or something, I was trying to get each shot on record. But Billy Horschel walks off after a par. I have no clue why. And everybody, when they come off the course, they throw the ball up into the crowd, right? Like they're into it. Billy Horschel walks off from the green and just looks up at the crowd and goes, fuck you. And just basically tells the crowd to go fuck themselves. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I wish I had it on um, video recording because yesterday or today, I guess it was, he posts, he posts on Instagram. 
that, that the reason he wore the Josh Gordon jersey yesterday was because of uh, mental health and disorders and things that, you know, that are a big topic, of course, and very important. But Well, his wife went through addiction. So, I mean, that's probably why he was big into that. Oh, yeah. Josh he certainly obviously. has that stuff going on, and, and even with himself probably some, to, to post about that as, you know, a thing. But it was just funny to see, like, I, I mean, he blocks half of us on Twitter anyway. He's not into any of that stuff. But for him to sort of act like he's embracing it on Sunday, but then on Saturday to do that, to me, it was just, I don't know, like, either have fun with it or don't. If you don't like it, it's fine. It's not everybody's thing. I just thought that was crazy to walk off like that when really nothing even happened. Like, it didn't affect him. It didn't hurt him. He, he just got pissed. And it was, to me, it was absolutely hilarious. I just, like I said, I wish I had it recorded it so I could have posted that for everyone to see because I laughed my ass off. Well, well, like I said last week, that course can bring out craziness in people. I mean, like I said, Justin Leonard, you know, one of the you know calmest guys you could think of. You see him on uh, Golf Channel every now and then. Uh, he basically flicked off the whole crowd, you know. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, crazy shit. That, that course, that, that hole can bring out some crazy stuff. But let's move on. Uh, let's move on to uh, our Listener League winner from last week. It's a uh, Blood VL, so B L U D V L, with a picture of a nice white shaggy dog as his avatar. Good win by him. He had 515 points. Um, he started off with Hideki Matsuyama, who was 21% owned in the league, who finished in 15th. He had Ricky Fowler, 26% owned, which was nice. Uh, good for our uh, listener league. JB Holmes at 2.5% uh, finished 26th. He had Grillo, who, if he can make a putt, would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, at 18.5%, uh, who finished 33rd. Scott Piercy uh, at 3.5%, uh, uh, top 20. And Bo Hostler at 3.5%, uh, top 39. I mean, he just got the – he had the winner, and then he had, you know, uh, you know nobody else in the top 10. It was a pretty low-scoring week uh, for these guys, but it was tough getting 6-6 six six through. Again, it was under 5% once again, which seems like it's going to be the norm uh, every week unless you play like, you know, a, a no-cut event. So um, pretty good lineup. What do you think? Look, look good. It looked like the uh, <clears throat> kick it off with the course history chalk with the Fowler Hideki. Uh, definitely nothing wrong with that. Uh, but he did, you know, sort of same thing I talked about with the guy last week. You know, he got two decently owned, who cares what is their ownership are type guys. Fit in Grillo, who we, we know was a really good value. I, I loved him last week. Uh, like you said, if he could have made a putt, it would have been a lot nicer for sure. Um, and then other than that, he just kicked in a couple, you know, the desert rat in Scott Piercy, 3.5%. That's a pretty sharp pick. Uh, and then JB Holmes and Bo Hostler, you know, look, their scoring is so solid, right? Like, you know, Bo Hostler 39th, but outscores JB Holmes in 26th with 72 and a half points, uh, you know, keeping it, keeping it going. So, uh, 2.5%, 3.5% and 3.5%, you know, that's what did it. Overall, obviously, there's lineups out there with with Fowler, Kucher, JT, whatever else in them. Um, but you know, he whooped everybody. Five fifteen. Next closest was five oh three. So shout out to him. That was an awesome lineup. Yeah. Also, shout out to the Mojo King. We don't lose the three man very, very often. often. I know. Uh, uh, and this guy literally crushed us by like a hundred points. Yeah. <laughs> so so last week. So the winner of last week's uh, listener league, Mojo King. Good job on the three man because he freaking destroyed yeah. us. Um, so let's let's move on to this week. You know, it's the AT&T uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. So the PGA Tour heads up to the coast of California this week as golfers get to play uh, AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Golfers will be playing on three different courses the first three days. Pebble Beach Golf Links, Monterey Peninsula Shore Course, 
and Spyglass Country Club. There is another uh, event where the, this is another event where the cut won't be until after uh, Saturday, and only the top 60 and ties make it to the final round on Sunday at Pebble Beach. Uh, as the name of the tournament suggests, tour golfers will be paired with an amateur um, for at least the first three rounds, making this tournament a test of patience for the pros since golf since rounds of golf could take, you know, six, seven hours with amateurs hacking it left and right. Uh, this is an important aspect fantasy-wise for this tournament. Golfers with little patience who usually play quickly could be adversely affected this weekend. Uh, I actually was re-watching uh, the, the uh, footage from last year's final round uh, when Ted Potter Jr. took over, uh, took down Dustin Johnson. And one of the big things that happened was uh, that group was playing with only three people since Wayne Gretzky had to uh, – withdraw with an injury and so it was a three-man group and so they were literally waiting every hole for so long uh and dj actually even said something about it I was getting a little bit frustrated about the, the the pace of play uh and you know it could have led to the reason why he let you know ted potter jr beat him uh, or ted potter just beat him I mean, don't get me wrong ted potter deserved the win but still you know, that's something to think about now because of this i will be putting more emphasis on course history uh, and I, I've been a little bit off course history lately, but this course is a little bit different. Uh, and, and this is due to the fact that this is the Pro-Am and not your normal tournament. I can see golfers get, getting frustrated like DJ did last year with long rounds, the carnival-type atmosphere with these amateurs playing alongside them. Uh, if golfers haven't played well here in the past, this could definitely be a reason why. Uh, now, when looking at course history this week, I would weigh more heavily the tournaments played after 2009. This current rotation of three courses has only been in effect since 2010. Uh, only one golfer has won here in their maiden start since 1950. Experience is key at this tournament. Uh, the weather could also play a big factor this week because both Pebble Beach and Monterey both hug the shoreline, making windy conditions a distinct possibility. Uh, do I worry less about golfers and men at Monterey during windy conditions because the course is a little bit easier? Uh, in 2014, Pebble Beach was the seventh most difficult course on tour. In 2015, Pebble was the 45th most difficult course on tour. The main difference between the two years was obviously weather. Uh, in 2014, it was blustery, and in 2015, there was no wind to speak of. This is how important the weather is to this tournament. Uh, now, you know, it's supposed to be cold. Uh, there is some rain in the forecast, so it's definitely something that you should pay attention to, uh, you know, when you're going through all your work and all that good stuff. Now, there is a couple of uh, trends and things that I uh, will go over before I actually get into the three courses. I posted this on my Twitter page last night, and I'm trying to bring it back up right now. All right, so here we go. So here's here's all some 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 weird trends. So the world golf ranking of the last eleven winners at Pebble Beach the week before they won. Here they are: two hundred forty-six, six, four hundred forty-seventh. 63rd, 35th, 6th, 17th, 167th, 44th, 119th, and 305. Five winners outside of the top 100 in the last 11 years. Only three winners inside the top 20 the last 11 years. Now, Pebble, uh, Pebble Beach during the U.S. Open in 2010 was the most difficult course on tour. Pebble during the AT&T Pro-Am that same year was only the 31st most difficult course on tour, which is the second easiest the course has played since 2008. Uh, now, I have heard reports that they are making adjustments for the U.S. Open already. Uh, there have been some rumors 
that the green that the fairways are a little bit tighter, um, that the rough is a little bit thicker. I, I can't I can't confirm any of these, but I have heard these things. And you know, all that says to me is it's not going to make the golf course that much more difficult for the pros uh, because it's still only going to be about two two inch rough. And, and the fairways is a 70% fairway make here. They're going to be hitting less than driver off the tee. But what it can do is make the course a lot more difficult for these amateurs, which could lead to even longer rounds than usual. Um, now, since 2008, Pebble Beach Golf Links has been inside the top 22 in most difficult courses on tour six times. All five winners outside the top 100 prior to their win played in one of those six years. So basically the harder the golf course the more it brings in more people. Uh, only uh, Spyglass has actually played more difficult than Pebble in nine of the last 11 years. Nine of the last 10 winners here played at least three events in January and February prior to their win. Vaughn Taylor was the only outlier. Ted Potter Jr., Vaughn Taylor, and Phil Mickelson are the only winners of the last 11 years that didn't have a top 15 in one of their three prior events in the same calendar year. Of the last 10 winners, five played Pebble in round one, four played Monterey in round one, and only one winner the last 10 years started at Spyglass, and that was Phil Mickelson at 2012. And the last thing, this one's a crazy stat. I couldn't believe this when I, when I, when I was looking it up. The USA has dominated this event for decades. There have only been two non-American winners at this event since 1966. Aussie Brett Ogle won in 1993, and VJ won in 2004. No European has finished first or second here since Tony Jacklin's runner-up in 1977, and that's the only European to ever finish top two at this event. The only one ever to finish in the top two at this event. So that those are some wild stats for the European. All right, so let's move on to the courses. Pebble Beach Golf Links is a 6,850-yard par 72 with four par 3s and four par 5s. Two of the par 5s are reachable by all golfers. One won't be reachable by hardly any golfer. Uh, that's the 14th. And one is reachable for the long hitters. That's the 18th. The course hugs the coastline, making for breathtaking views, but also brutal conditions if the wind picks up. Off the tee, golfers will see fairways that are above average in size with bunkers guarding the landing zones. Since this is a pro-am, I don't expect the rough to go more than two inches, even though they say it's a little bit thicker. Uh, but I think, you know, two inches is probably going to be where it is. Uh, and, and, any, and that's going to be on all three courses. If golfers miss wildly off the tee, OB comes into place that's nearly half the hole sit alongside the Pacific Ocean. On approach shots, golfers will see tiny greens with just a bit of undulation and slope. And the greens aren't going to be crazy fast. They're going to be around 10.5, and they're going to be POA greens this week. Uh, Spyglass is a 7,000-yard par 72 with four par 3s, four par 5s. All the par 5s should be reachable in two by most golfers, plus 17 is a reachable par 4. Uh, this is the most difficult course out of the three this week. Uh, the first five holes here are played among the coastal sand dunes, but after the fifth hole, the course moves more inland, and it's played within the Del Monte Forest. So with many more trees protecting this course, the wind could be less of a factor than on the other two courses. So if there's a windy day, like, you know, that could be the, the day where you want to play uh, the guys that are playing Spyglass. Uh, off the tee, golfers will see average size fairways, just a few fairway bunkers to deal with. The golfers are wild off the tee. They're going to be dealing with a lot of trees and a little bit of water. 
on approach shots, golfers will see slightly larger greens than Pebble Beach, but the greens actually have a lot more slope and undulation. Uh, Monterey is a 6,950-yard par 71 with five par threes and four par fours, or four par fives. It is the easiest course out of the three. Uh, the fairways are above average in size, and the greens are the long. Uh, the greens are the largest of the three. Uh, what are you looking for this week, Tampa? Yeah, so stats-wise, you know, big big factor is going to be depending on you know the confirmation of sort of these fairways. But uh, you know, one outside before we even get to the stats, you mentioned course history. Uh, I think it's it's definitely bigger here. The mental fortitude that they'll need to have. Uh, if these fairways are actually brought in, like uh, the guy was telling you on Twitter, and I saw a couple other people mention, like if there could be some seven-hour rounds, right, where there's guys that gotta, you know sit through that. Some guys get pissed. You know, we just talked about hole 16 and what it does to people. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't have patience. Think about going out with your buddies. I know these are pros. It's totally different. But as soon as you get behind that slow group, you could just want to snap, right? Everything was going smooth. You were feeling it. You were getting your groove on, and then this thing happens. So. Um, I definitely look for some of that. As far as stats go, you know, greens and regulation, there's a high correlation with that here uh, with the winners. So greens and regulation is important on my model. Uh, also looking at birdies are better gained. Uh, main thing there is, again, it'll be different if the if we think the winning score is only going to be minus 12, minus 13 as the week goes on, then you, you still need to score those points. I just mean as far as then finishing position can become a little bit more important as well. But um, opportunities gained. Uh, the stat on Fantasy National, that's a good one. And then scrambling in general, smaller greens, uh, means they got to be able to get up and down. Uh, and then proximity as a whole, right? Just it, it ties in sort of with the opportunities gained that we just talked about. But uh, I just think obviously the the range is like I got 125 to 150 right now that I'm looking at. Um, yep. What are you looking yep. at, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, I think I think wedge, wedge game is going to be key here. Anything from 100 to 150 yards proximity-wise is going to be very important. The rich and powerful want us to think the economy is a line on a stock market ticker. That's wrong. The economy is powered by us. It's what we create, what we buy, what we need. President Biden has proposed bold public investments in jobs and families, but more is needed. We need housing, health care, caregiving, action on the climate crisis, and millions of good-paying jobs. This is our moment to finally unlock prosperity for all of us. For more information, go to prosperus.org. That's prosperus.org. New hot and iced sunrise batch coffee from Dunkin'. A bright and balanced, full-bodied blend, brewed so you can get summering from sunrise to sunset. And even after that, because that's when you can show off those string lights you hung in the backyard. Or rehung. Enjoy a medium, hotter, iced sunrise batch coffee for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Uh, and I'm definitely looking at 100 to 125 and 125 to 150. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on uh, to, the, to the field. Let's start up on the top of the board here. We have um, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, uh, Tony Finau, Matt Kuchar, and Philippe Wood. Who do you like this week? I think everybody likes DJ, so don't need to talk too much about uh, about him. But I think uh, DJ has an extremely high win likelihood here. Uh, it's going to be a little bit interesting, though, because obviously coming off the win in Saudi, the travel, you and I talked a little bit before the pod. The interesting factor is I'm not sure in his history of uh, – you mentioned some about his travel has been good. I'm just not sure how it's been if he's been over 
some, you know, if he's been overseas for a little while, because I know he was over there with Paulina the week before doing a little bit of partying and whatnot. So uh, for him to come out and get the win, obviously he handles that no problem. It's just about the extra long stay and then the travel back uh, for me. So I think it'd be an interesting fade um, in single entry or something like that, because I do think DJ sees extremely high ownerships uh, in three max and single entry. And then even in the bigger fields, like something like the $5, um, he's still going to be heavily owned. Uh, we didn't talk about him earlier, completely irrelevant to this tournament, but to strategy, uh, Matt Wolf had himself one hell of a week uh, for the amateur at $6,000 straight. And because people no- notice that, I think that's going to make for a lot more DJ lineups because they'll take a chance on someone in the 6K range, seeing that if you have that, I mean, he ended up in a lot of the, the higher scoring lineups just because they got that much output from a $6,000 guy that allowed them to load up on the Kucher, JT, Ricky lineups. So for strategy-wise, uh, I think we'll see a lot more DJ as it is. Um, so sort of have to take a stance on him. Um, first T3PO of the week is actually going to be uh, using Finau, and, and it's going to be, I think, over Day. Um, Day is going to get a lot of love because of the course history here. I was going to you know, pick Fleetwood when I originally did my picks today, um, but Day has obviously been on fire recently, has an absolutely incredible course history, it's just so it's 11k so it's when day gets up there and i got 11.4 for dj um you know that could be the sneaky tournament play if you want to do it but i'm still good with finau Uh, i know he missed the cut there but that you know finau is a guy we'll use this as the example if we find out for sure that this is going to be set up like the u.s open or a little bit of a preview for it uh if we talked at the start of the season would we pick finau to win a u.s open he's definitely a guy that can do it so why would this not be good for him now we know he didn't have the history um, before at uh, the waste management so if you look at it uh, as a miscut so be it and move on uh, i'm good with him here he's been on a good run before um 13th second and 16th before his miscut uh he's only really got one showing here and it was a 23rd place but as far as stats and everything are concerned he lines up just fine on my model for uh, birdies dk points ops gained uh, par 5 scoring bogey avoidance just everything across the board so Finau over Day is going to be the first one for me. Uh, and then the other guy really in this area that I might make a play on, haven't decided yet, looked a little bit rattled on Sunday, but is Kucher. I think Fleetwood will also be extremely popular, but I do like Kucher um, just from the perspective of the grinded out mentality. And he came off, uh, you know, he's just crushing right now. Fourth still is what he ended up at. Uh, before that, he had two wins in his previous four you know, you can't really say anything bad about him right now at ten grand. Even, uh, what is what's your take up here? I've been struggling with this all day, uh, trying to figure out who I wanted to play out of these top five guys. My first initial run was Jason Day, Finau, and Kucher, but then because I was a little bit worried about Dustin Johnson and his travels. But then you look back at DJ. Last year, he went from the Open Championship to Canada and won in Canada. Now there have been instances where he's been overseas and come back and and missed the cut. A couple, I think. Uh, in the last five years, but you know he's making he does that trip from the U.S. Open to Canada all the time, or the Open Championship to Canada all the time, and he's done fairly well uh, at that course. So um, I, I just I I can't fade DJ, like you know I just can't. I mean, if you look at the he's the best wedge player in this tournament recently, at least in the last fifty rounds by a ton. He's first in proximity from one hundred to one hundred twenty-five, second in one twenty-five to one fifty. Uh, so what I decided to do is I'm going to play the course history guys up top. I'm going to play Dustin Johnson, 
I want to play Jason Day. I want to fade the other three. Though Kuchar might make it to a lineup here at some point in time. I just got to play those two guys above the other three guys just because they've performed so well at this course and they're playing well. Uh, they're two former number one players in the world. So I have both with more than 10 wins. DJ trying to get his 20th. Uh, so I can't fade those two guys. I'm going to be rostering those two at the top on probably 80% of my lineups um, this week. I'm just going to go with that. Um, you know, I think Fleetwood at some point in time early this year, I think he's going to win. Uh, I don't think this is the week. Maybe Riviera, uh, maybe the Mexico, but I, I, I maybe uh, Honda. Uh, but I don't think that this is the tournament for Fleetwood. Uh, like I said, Europeans just haven't done well here before, which is strange because it's sort of like a, you know, it's a coastline course and it's definitely not a Lynx type course, but you know, it's, it's on the coast. It has weather. Uh, I guess the biggest issue is if it, 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 it's a, you know, it's not a Lynx course. You have to get, get the ball up in the air a lot. A lot of these greens are elevated. So that's probably why, one of the main differences and why maybe Europeans have struggled here uh, in the past. But so I'm going to go DJ and Day. And that's what I'm just going to go with. I'm not making any bold proclamations there. I'm going to play the course history. I'm going to play the top two guys, and that's how I'm going to go with. If I had to pick one of the two, I'd probably go day over DJ. I'm probably going to have 45% day, 35% DJ. It's probably the way I'm going to go about it this week. All right, so let's move on to this 9K range. I got two cash game cornerstones here this week in this range. My first one is going to be Patrick Cantlay at $9,800. Uh, Iron game, really strong. He, you know, he's been going really well this year with, uh, you know, a really, really solid season. A bunch of top 10s, a bunch of top 15s. Uh, he's playing good golf. He did miss the cut the farmers, but, you know, I'll give him a pass on that one. But, you know, ninth at the desert, second at the Shriners, seventh at the AG at, in uh, Singapore. Uh, I'm sorry, Shishen in China. So uh, I'm going to go Patrick Cantlay as my first cash game cornerstone pick. And my second cash game cornerstone pick in this range is going to be Ches Revy. Um, if you look at, I posted this on Twitter yesterday. Ches Revy in 2018, last year, he was 18th in Sony, 36th in the Desert Classic, second in Phoenix. He had 11 of 12 rounds in the 60s, no over par rounds, combined 41 under par, and he finished last year's Pebble Beach uh, Pro Am in second. Ches Revy in 2019, he came in third in Sony, 28th in the Desert Classic. Fourth in Phoenix, 11 of 12 rounds once again in the 60s. Once again, no over par rounds. Combined, 44 under par. So it's looking like he's the same trajectory as last year. So I think he's going to do well. Uh, so I got those two guys uh, as cash game options this week. Uh, other, I think I'm back on the speed train. I know a couple weeks ago I made a big deal about, like, no speed, no speed. Well, you know what? He showed me, even though his finish didn't merit it, he showed me. A little bit uh, at the farmers. I mean, the big thing is he was, I think, top fifteen in birdie or better uh, at that course. And and I know nine of them came uh, on the easy Tory Pines, uh, but you know he's not playing super difficult courses this week as long as the weather doesn't uh, go crazy. So I'm back on Spieth this week. I'll be playing him. Uh, I, this range I'm playing almost everybody, uh, and I do like Adam Scott as well who, if he's found what he found with his putter, and it's not just a fluke one-event one thing like he did in his last event, uh, you know, ball striking-wise, he's one of the best in the world. So, I, you know, at this price, I think he's definitely worth it. Uh, who you like? 
Yeah, so Cantley, you mentioned, uh, you know, he, he seems to fail me every time everybody gets on him. I feel like everyone's going to be on him again, but too too good a golfer to go away from. Uh, too good of a price, 9800 like uh, like even starting some lineups with him. Um, so Cantley, I like. Spieth, you just mentioned. Uh, I'm going to go on him. He's got the history that we talked about. Uh, didn't look terrible last time. I already looked to, to get a little th- bit of stuff back on track there, but... Uh, still needs to show me a little bit more, but I'm going to go back to him uh, at 9,400. I kind of liked Reed um, until I looked into it a little bit today and just looking at last couple events, you know, it was really his putter was really on for him. Um, so, it, you know, it fits. He's always been good around the green and whatnot. So um, can't hate on the guy. He's had some decent results here before last year. Uh, he finished 23rd, 6th, and 29th the previous three years. But the travel as well from Saudi and, and everything that's uh, – been going on with him like i i don't know if i can do that i'd probably play scott over him uh, but my second t3po is going to be here and it's the guy who opted to skip saudi politics aside um casey is uh you know really strong i think you know as, especially if it's going to be a grinded out event um always like casey in the majors the price is pretty fair at 9100 came eight tier last year um w- one thing that'll go overlooked is at the singapore event uh he came in second and finished out with a 65 on the Saturday. So that's sort of the last competitive event that he played. Uh, and, and it went extremely well for him. So uh, I like him. He's healthy, rested, uh, off the break, didn't play in Saudi. So this would be a good spot for him. And I'm going to take him over your guy, Ches Reeve. Uh, I, I love all the stats that you have for Ches Reeve. I just don't ever see Ches Reeve as a $9,000 golfer in this field. I mean, obviously, all those great facts and stats that you put out are what put him at this price tag, no doubt. It's just a matter of, you know, give me Ches Reeve at 9K or Paul Casey at 9,100. You can obviously play both. From my, from my perspective, it feels as though Ches Reeve is going to be a little bit chalky here and not as many people will be on Casey. Uh, and I love Casey in this spot at 9,100. Uh, so I'll go with him. Yeah, I think Reeve will be chalky. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I do like that pivot to Paul Casey. Like I said, if people have been listening long enough, they know that my strategy is usually to go light. Uh, on the golfers that I that I play in cash, and I will be in GPPs, and I'll probably be lighter on Chess and, and drop off to uh, Casey and uh, Scott Reed. I, I don't know if I can get back on board uh, after going, you know, Cali, Saudi, Cali uh, mm-hmm. in three weeks. I mean, that's pretty tough with no break. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty tough schedule right there for him. So let's move on to this 8K range. Uh, I'll get us started once again uh, because my first, my third cash game cornerstone is right up here on top it's going to be brandon grace at eighty nine hundred dollars uh good top 20 here last year uh you saw he had one of the better rounds um of uh, on sunday at phoenix when the weather was shitty it was raining it was cold uh he seems to perform well in those type of conditions and it's going to be cold uh i think the high temperature is 55 for the whole week um at pebble uh this coming up week there is going to be rain in the forecast as well uh, so I think the conditions merit him, uh, give, give, merit giving him a look, and I like him a lot, especially after his good play last week. So Grace will be my third cash game cornerstone at $8,900. Uh, I do like Sneds as well, another guy with good course history here, one of the better around the greens, good putter, putts well on POA. Uh, so I'm definitely a fan of him. Uh, and I'll probably throw, uh, I, I, I think, Shane Lowry. Uh, I might play a little bit as well. Coming off, getting a monkey off his back 
finally getting a win uh, in Europe uh, a, a couple weeks ago. Um, so I do, and he plays grinder type who, you know, you, you don't really want to worry about. Um, you don't want him in like a, a long course. This is a short course uh, with rough conditions. So I sort of like him as well. And the whole thing about the Europeans uh, that I was talking about earlier, um, I wouldn't necessarily overemphasize that in DFS. Uh, maybe in betting, uh, but, you know, you don't necessarily need the winner in DFS, and that's the way it goes. So, you know, that stat about the Europeans, no European finishing, you know, first or second here since Tony Jacklin, and he's the only one ever being do it, ever doing it. Um, I, I I wouldn't emphasize that too much in DFS. So I will play Shane Lowry as well at 8,800. Uh, and I'm going to play Sungjae, uh, even though I'm a little worried about him playing five weeks in a row. But the game has been too good. Uh, he's been, you know, really good off the tee. The one thing that he's been missing is his putting, which is strange since that's what, you know, kept him going last year on the web.com. Once that putter comes back, I mean, man, he can, he's been finishing, what, 15th, 12th, you know, 7th. Uh, you know, uh, he could be up there here pretty soon. The guy's got mad talent. Uh, who do you like? I like him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, worried about popularity, but I, I think Sung J M's just uh... – an awesome play. Like you said, he just doesn't seem to stop. He's the machine that keeps on going. Uh, you know, Sungjae bot might be a thing at some point because he's like a, a young Hideki. This guy's just going off all the time. Uh, the 52nd was sort of the outlier, but he's in between all that. He's got a 7th, a 12th, a 10th, and a 15th. And like you just said, everything's been on except his putting. Putting hasn't even really been on. And he's still showing up. So uh, if he gets it going, it'll be interesting to see Sort of a lot of those courses he's been at haven't really been grinded out courses, so uh, that'll be interesting to see. But like he's just so good with all his stats that um, I'm not too worried about him as a whole. So I do like Sung JM quite a bit. Um, beyond that, I like I like Lowry, like you mentioned, a little bit over Grace. I think Grace will get chased a little bit, uh, and Lowry, like you said, is a, another guy that sort of grinds it out there. And on top of it, uh, did get that win at Abu Dhabi. So uh, I do like Lowry there. Don't like my Canadian guy, Hadwin. Uh, he's a desert guy. He sort of showed some resiliency last week himself, plus six on the front nine to start his tournament uh, and, and grinded it out and came back, made the cut, and then in the end it just sort of didn't pan out. But uh, I'll go away from him. Matt Fitzpatrick is an interesting one. Uh, some good results recently, a 16th, a 4th, and a 2nd. It sort of can show up in these spots. So I kind of like him over coke rack but my other one here uh my third and final t3po and then i'll go through them all but uh you mentioned him snedeker uh, i think he'll be less popular because guys like him and then the one that i'm using him against uh as a t3po where i'll pounce and, and take that pivot is rcb um rcb's got some good results recently as well but uh basically the big thing about him and it looks like it's going to gain him quite a bit of popularity here early in the week he posts one video of him making a putt in the rain and the conditions. And all of a sudden the community says like, this is the guy let's get on him. Some of it's jokes. I know that, but I also, you know, know from experience and past history that that's, you know, the type of thing that sort of makes people jump on a guy very quickly and just start to fit him in their lineups at a good price tag of 8,300. Uh, I can see that, but Snedeker again, back to the course history situation, 20th, 4th, 35th, 1st, uh, 8,200 seems a little bit expensive for him, even though it's probably not. Um, you know, so for me, Snedeker over Cabrera Bayo is an easy decision. So to go through them right now, I've got Finau over Day. I've got Casey over Revi, 
And then I've got Snedeker over RCB, and that rounds out the AK range. That sounds good. I like those. Why don't you move on to the 7K range there, Tambo? Go ahead. Yeah, so starts up here. JB Holmes uh, runs down quite a way. So they've expanded the 7K range quite a bit this week, and I do have uh, a few guys in here that I like, but I'm sort of just going to name some of the favorites. So uh, the first one I'll start with is JB Holmes. Uh, you know, really good history here. As far as that goes, you know, he missed the cut last year, but before that he had a 23rd, 11th, and a 10th, uh, 26th this past week. Uh, he fits it for 7,900. I think that's a fair price. Um, I, I'm scared about this one, but I'm going to go back to Glover. Uh, just really couldn't make anything in the desert, but he had been on a tear. Uh, everyone will go off him. That's perfect. The recency bias, as far as everything else goes, you know, nothing really changed. Uh, he has a U.S. Open in his pocket. So I think Glover is a guy that I will uh, roll with again. It's 7700 Seems odd that his price went up after that. So that'll be another thing that deters people. Uh, I'll save Doug Gim for you. Uh, but I do like Henley. Um, Russell Henley, 7600 Good price. 15th here last year. 15th just really couldn't make a putt. Um, in Phoenix, or he could have done a lot more. Uh, and I thought we would have seen that. Charlie Hoffman looked good last week. Uh, not a lot of history here. Actually withdrew last year. Um, but again, just sort of looking at some guys for GPPs. Michael Thompson. Um, I know you've uh, heard a few things about him before. Uh, some of them call him Michael the Goat Thompson. And uh, he's been showing up lately, a 13th and a 9th in his last two outs. So sort of just a, a one-off throw him in there. Uh, and then a couple more, Streelman, really good history. Not sure how popular he'll be yet. There's a lot of different flavor of the month guys around him, like Hostler, Spawn, uh, Armor, those guys, and Domin. Um, and then the other couple that I like, so I really like Hadley, would be one of my favorite plays here at 7,100. Um, scores, you know, DK points like crazy, and he's got uh, some tenths here back in the day that most people won't follow, and then had a 35th here last year uh, and then other than that at the bottom one other guy i'll give is harkins at seven thousand even uh 26 last time out 15th here last year also another guy that can put up some dk points uh these are just like i said all it's it's a range you got to use some of these guys i mentioned my favorites are who do you like in here kenny uh we're on the same path i do like jb holmes as well his tita green's been strong uh, his wedge play's been good. He's been making a ton of eagles. There's a lot of eagles on this course, except at Spyglass. So, you know, you got to take advantage of those par fives. He's good at par fives as well. Uh, so I do like J.B. Holmes. Uh, Doug Gim, I'm going to roster him all the time. I, I said it earlier in the year that, you know, even though he doesn't have his card, the times that we see him on the tour, he's going to make some noise. And he did the other t- the, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and, you know, I think it was the Farmers or the Desert. I don't remember which one. Uh, but he, you know, he was in the top five, top eight going into the final days before he sort of faded off, which was, you know, sort of likely with all that pressure on him because he needed a top 10 to play in Phoenix. So, um, yeah, I do like Doug Gim. I love Russell Henley this week. Uh, one of the better wedge players here. Uh, the wedge game, like I said, is going to be super important. He's first in the field in proximity from 125 to 150 uh, with Dutch and Johnson is second, uh, you know, so uh, it was pretty solid work with his wedges. Uh, been known as a good putter but has been a little bit off with his putter lately. Hopefully he comes back this week on a course that he's familiar with. Um, my final cash game cornerstone pick is going to be Nick Watney at $7,500. Uh, 
Uh, you know, he's made, I think, uh, four or five cuts in a row here. Uh, you know, he's had three top 15s in his last nine attempts here. He's missed like one cut in his last 10 or 15 events. The guy's been very, very consistent. He's been dominating par fives. He's been decent from 125 to 150. Lots of opportunities gained. Um, so I do like Watney as my final cash game cornerstone pick. So my four cash game cornerstones for this week are going to be Patrick Cantlay, Ches Reavy, um, Brandon Grace, and Nick Watney. So those are going to leave you almost 15,000 uh, left under the cap. I think like 14,800. So you still got plenty of cash to fill out the rest of your lineup. Uh, and so I do like that. Uh, other guys that I like in this range, one guy, I do like Hadley, just like you were talking about. Uh, I'll play Streelman, just like you were talking about. But one guy I really like uh, in in this lower 7K range is Corey Connors, your boy, uh, the Canadian brethren over nice. there at $7,100. Uh, he's been in contention a couple of times already this year. Uh, I think he was second or third at the Sony uh, I think he was second at the Sanderson Farms. So he's been in it. He's been close. And at this price, it's very, very cheap for a guy who's fifth in the field in strokes gained tee to green in the last 50 rounds, second in the field in opportunities gained last 50 rounds, sixth in the field in par four efficiency from 350 to 400 yards. There's a ton of par fours at all three of these courses from 350 to 400 yards. He's sixth in the last 50 rounds. Really good with his short wedges. He's second in the field in proximity from 125 or from 100 to 125 yards. Um, you know, and a really good iron pl- um, wedge player. Uh, he's been in contention recently. He's first in the field in proximity from 100 to 125, and fifth in proximity from 125 to 150 in the last 12 rounds. So I really like. Uh, Corey Connors this week as one of my maybe under the radar plays. I don't know how popular he's ever going to be, but I do love him this week uh, at that price. All right, let's, so let's move on to the 6K range. Um, I'll get us started. You know, just a couple of guys uh, up top who you know you've seen. I'm going to play uh, Brian Stewart uh, at uh, $6,900. Game sort of reminds me of a Vaughn Taylor of a Ted Potter Jr. He seems like he fits that mold of someone who can come in here in crappy conditions, go out there and play well. He's been exceptionally good from par in par fours from 350 to 400 yards. He's fifth in the field in par four efficiency from that range. He's been pretty good with his wedges as well. So I'll play a little bit of Brian Stewart. I'll play Brian Gay. Uh, you know, when you get down to this type of range, I'm going to play a lot of good putters. You know, he's one of the best out there. Uh, so, you know, cheap 6,800, I'll play him, has had some success here uh, at this course. I'll also play Vaughn Taylor again. Um, I'm trying to look for him. I forget what his price was, uh, but I'm going to play Vaughn Taylor again. Um, I guess he's 7,000. But once again, another guy who crushes short par fours, uh, who's really good with his short wedges. And shockingly enough, Vaughn Taylor in his last 50 rounds, he's eighth in opportunities gained, which is a stat on Fantasy National, and, you know, leading the birdie chances. Now, he hasn't converted a bunch, but it's there. Um, so I like those guys. Other guys I do like in this 6K range, uh, I'll play a little GMAC. Uh, it's Graham McDowell. I think he's 6,600, you know, coast shoreline course. That's his, like, bread and butter. Um, I'll play Cam Davis as well at 6,600. Pretty, you know, decent finish last, uh, last time out, but pretty good. With his wedges, top 30 in both proximity from 100 to 125 
and 125 to 150. So I'll play a little bit of Cam. Um, you know, Australians, even though they haven't won here, they have played well here in the past. Um, so if digging down a little bit lower, uh, my final guy, probably Ben Silverman at 6,200, another guy who has been exceptionally good at short par fours and good with his shorter irons. Uh, he's 10th in proximity from 100, 125 yards in his last 50 rounds. Tampa, who do you like? A lot of the same. Um, use this time, maybe go through a couple little quick things then, because honestly, we're almost on the same guys, Kenny. So um, re- real quick, just one thing to note for everybody, uh, a lot of withdrawals. We didn't talk about this earlier, but I do want to bring that up because they're going to show up in your pool. Um, they'll make a note of it, but you know, Kevin Na, 7,700. Kyle Stanley, 7,100. Chris Kirk, 7,000. Bill Haas, 6,900. Uh, Carlos Ortiz, who a lot of people used a, a couple weeks ago there, 6,800. And then a couple guys no one would use anyway, but Morgan Hoffman and Vijay Singh. Uh, just make the note. I know they alert you, but it's just one one thing to look out for because um, those guys all came out quite late, and I don't think they're going to change the pool to add anyone. They normally don't. Um, only other guy I'll bring up then, Kenny, at the $6,000 range is uh, just a young gunner that maybe someday will make some noise. It's the maybe this week's Matt Wolf, but uh, Ryan Ruffles, 6,000. Really no special reason, just like the guy. You know, he's never done anything crazy on tour, um, but sort of one course I look at, like the RBC Canadian <coughs> Open, or, or sorry, the, the Heritage is what I look at, and he missed the cut, but um, his, his best showing, what I was going to say, was at the RBC Canadian Open recently, uh, back in 17, he got 32nd place. Uh, it's just sort of an upside talent at $6,000 if you want to make a couple sneaky GPP lineups. I think you hit on most of the other guys. I was going to ask you, though, about Ho Sung, Ho Sung Choi is showing up at this event. What's his uh, outlook for the week? Yeah, I'm not playing him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, it's fun to watch, but, I mean, the guy's like 46 years old. Uh, he's never been in the United States ever in his life. Um, you know, he could come out and do something crazy, but, I mean – like, he does have a win recently in Japan, uh, but I think that was, like, his second or third win ever in his career. The guy is sort of a sideshow, um, which is cool. I like his, his, his swing. is fun to watch. It's fun to look at, uh, but I'm not rostering him DFS. One guy I did forget, though, Ernie Els at $6,600. The guy sort of had a bit of a resurgence here uh, recently uh, with a yeah. bunch of top 20s making eight or nine cuts uh, this year, you got to remember this is former world number one. Maybe he's trying to play his way onto the onto the uh, Presidents Cup team. Uh, so he's been having some good success over in Europe. Uh, he missed the cut last week in Saudi, so he had a little bit more time to get over here and do his thing and uh, deal with the jet lag. So I'll probably play a little bit of uh, Ernie else as well. All right. So anybody else? No, nope, I'm good, man. All right. So Tampa, why don't you lead us into the betting segment? Yeah, so betting segment brought to you by BetQL, betql.co is the website. Um, brought to you by RotoQL. Uh, main thing about them, basically want to download the app. Uh, you get it on iTunes or Android. Uh, check out a lot of different things. So they got value bets on there uh, where you can go through and actually pull over to the value bets tab and see all the best value bets based on uh, line movement. Um, so you can see how the lines move throughout the day, change your decision-making process based on that. Uh, and then they also have public betting. So like I mentioned before, you can see how all the public trends are. Uh, you know, yesterday in the Super Bowl, prime example, everybody was sort of on the 
uh, Patriots for the entire way. And then in the end, some late money. They talk about big $3.8 million bets coming in on the, the Rams. It brought a little bit of money over to that side. You would be able to track all that and see it before the game, help you make some of your decisions going in. So download the app and check it out. Uh, as far as this week goes for betting, Kenny, for me, a little bit early in the week, uh, you know, sort of same as I was with the 6K range. I'm not trying to hold anything back. Uh, I'll be completely transparent. But the bottom line is, is the, the weather's still changing. And then on top of that, there's still some things to be confirmed with the fairway widths and the setup. Uh, which, like we said, will change different things from mental fortitude based on amateur rounds to, um, you know, the sort of stats even that go with that. Uh, and then the other thing is the the waves are a huge factor here. Who goes off when? Who gets what course when? Based on those trends Kenny talked about earlier, uh, that's a big thing for me. DraftKings has a cool tournament this week. I'm not sure if you saw it. I think it's a $3 buy-in. Uh, like I mentioned, I can't really buy into anything until I get home tomorrow. But it's a $3 micro millions, they call it. It's a really even payout structure. It's a 20 max. Um, and it's pretty cool. But like when I get into those 20 max tournaments, I was going to bring up is just that's where I like to go a little bit crazy and sort of go against the grain. And if everyone says, you know, they're not going to play, I think it mentioned was Spyglass on Saturday, for example, then I might do something like that just to make it a little funky or, or unique. Um, and maybe not that, but maybe I'll go to the, if everyone's going to play Pebble on Saturday, then I might go to Monterey on Saturday because there's nothing really against that heavily versus the other one. So um, keep an eye out for that stuff. Uh, we'll check it all out. But for me right now, the only two bets I really have, um, Spieth, and I'm tailing guys on that. So I know a couple people are on it already. Uh, I think Bearoff and Gup are both on it. So I, I like that bet at 22 to 1. Uh, and then Henley at 80 to one, it's a public bet. I hate those. Everyone seems to be on it, but like we talked about already, it was, uh, not just everyone talking about him. It's the fact that he's been playing so well, uh, and really didn't even have the putter going in Phoenix and was still right there in the mix beyond some of the other things he's done lately. Um, I got him at 80 to one. I think I missed the boat on 90, but 80 to one still seems pretty solid for a guy that we know that can contend, uh, and has the history. Uh, who are you on? Yeah, we're on the same boat here. Uh, we, we, you know, so I'm going Spieth twenty-two to one as well. I'm going Henley ninety to one as well. And my long shot flyer bet is going to be Corey Connors at one hundred twenty-five to one. So those are going to be my three bets this week. All right, so let's finish up with the one and done. Um, I'll go first. I'm going Jason Day. It's going to be pretty easy for me. Uh, I'm going to go Jason Day as my one and done pick. Who you got? Haven't uh, haven't fully decided yet. I was going to do something like that because I am going to probably fade him in DFS. And I did this with Hideki last week. Uh, and Hideki still turned out okay. Uh, I'm not up there competing with anybody right now yet. But I have got like a 15th or better with all my guys by taking these chalk guys earlier. It's not the be-all, end-all strategies. And, it, and it's common right now. But the fact that people do have missed cuts falling into place there too um, so I'm thinking about Day as well. I haven't used him. The other thing, the other option for me was to use Fleetwood uh, since, like I said, I don't want to use him either yet. But I'll probably post something on that later in the week as the week goes on. I don't have it finalized yet. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I switched from Hideki to Xander last week. And, I mean, it worked out a little bit. I think Xander finished, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the top 15, top 20. Uh, he did beat uh, Hideki. I'm in 200th right now. Uh, in that in the uh, big gups corner one and done so you know i'm going to stick with day this week and then maybe make an adjustment later on uh you know go a little bit different in the future tournament to try and move up yeah xander finished 10th yeah 
So, all right. So that's going to be it for this week, uh, you guys. Uh, hopefully we have a good tournament. Hopefully it's not super horrible to watch like it usually is with all the amateurs hacking it left and right, eight-hour rounds. But that's just the way it's going to be. All right. So, DJs, good luck this week. Let's win some money. The rich and powerful want us to think the economy is a line on a stock market ticker. That's wrong. The economy is powered by us. It's what we create, what we buy, what we need. President Biden has proposed bold public investments in jobs and families, but more is needed. We need housing, health care, caregiving, action on the climate crisis, and millions of good-paying jobs. This is our moment to finally unlock prosperity for all of us. For more information, go to prosperus.org. That's prosperus.org. The rich and powerful want us to think the economy is a line on a stock market ticker. That's wrong. The economy is powered by us. It's what we create, what we buy, what we need. President Biden has proposed bold public investments in jobs and families, but more is needed. We need housing, health care, caregiving, action on the climate crisis, and millions of good-paying jobs. This is our moment to finally unlock prosperity for all of us. For more information, go to prosperus.org. That's prosperus.org. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.